text for today is from Isaiah chapter 40. We heard that a few moments ago. I'm not going to be showing any of the verses on the screens, but we are going to be digging into these verses, into this text. So I do ask you, encourage you, open up God's word this morning. Have it before your eyes. If you have a worship folder, that's good. An app on your phone. You want to use one of our church Bibles. Isaiah chapter 40 is found on page 599. Page 599. And as we open up God's word here today, Isaiah chapter 40, in this particular passage, Isaiah 2,700 years ago is showing us this. That something big is coming. That something or someone who is so big, so monumental, is on the move. Now this past Thanksgiving, my family, my wife Leah and daughter Amelia, we watched the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. And if you've ever seen a parade, you've been to a parade, there's something exciting when the police put those barricades up and they block all the side streets and they clear this path. And everything is put on hold and disrupted. And you're looking down that parade route with excitement because you know that something exciting is coming. You know that something big is coming your way. Or maybe you've seen the movie Jurassic Park, the original Jurassic Park. There's a famous scene where on the dashboard of their vehicle, there's two cups of water. And before they can see anything, and before they can hear anything, and before they themselves as human beings can feel anything, they notice the water in those cups begins to stir, begins to tremble. Why? Because something big was coming. Now again, this is what the prophet Isaiah is telling to us here in our text from Isaiah chapter 40. And there's two things that God is showing us here, at least two things that we're going to see here today. First of all, that God through the prophet Isaiah is showing us exactly who it is that is so big who is coming, who's on the move. We see this in verses 3, and 4, and 5. It says, A voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Now this, at least in part, was fulfilled with John the Baptist in the wilderness, preparing the way for the Christ, for the Messiah. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill be made low, and the uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, all of humanity at once. 
Now, what is the significance of this language and this imagery of preparing a way and making a highway and this idea of valleys that are being filled up and mountains that are being brought low? Well, the people of the ancient world would have understood this symbolism and this language. For it was not uncommon during this period of history if there was a king who was traveling to a particular part of his kingdom, perhaps a part of the kingdom that he had not ever been to or a part of the kingdom that had been a long, long time since the king had been there and that place perhaps had fallen into disrepair. That they would literally send out whatever the equivalent of a civil engineer was before the king to prepare an adequate road, a highway for the king or the emperor to travel upon to visit those people. And of course, if it was a good king, that meant a good king was coming to your town, to your village, to the part of the kingdom where you lived. That good king was going to bring his blessings. He was going to bring restoration they would literally prepare a road, a highway for the king. And if there was a ditch there, they would fill up the ditch to make it nice and smooth. If there was a big rock, even a boulder, they would remove that rock or boulder to make it straight and smooth for the king to arrive. But look at the exaggerated, over-the-top language that the prophet Isaiah is using about this particular king. It says every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. It's not just a ditch that's being filled up. It's entire valleys that are being filled. It's not just a big rock or a boulder that's being removed. It's what? Entire mountains and mountain ranges that are being flattened to the ground because of the overwhelming power and majesty and might of this particular king. Because this king is not just a king. It is the king. It's God himself returning to his people. The good king. Says, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. It's God returning to this world. And look at how this entire world is described. It's described as a wilderness or as a desert. We have messed things up as human beings, rebelling against him. And the good king is returning to make things right. No more disease, no more death, no more warfare, no more poverty. No more darkness, no more tears. That's the first thing that Isaiah is showing us here. It's exactly who it is that is coming. It's God himself to this world. Secondly, the second thing that God is showing us here through the prophet Isaiah, he's showing us exactly why it is that God would want us to know this now. Why is it that God, through the prophet Isaiah, wants us, indeed wants you here today, to know of this future day when the king, when God himself, will return to this world with all of his glory? Why does he want us, why does he take the time for us to know that even now? 
Well, to best understand that, a little bit of the historical context for the prophet Isaiah. Because Isaiah is a prophet during a terrible and tumultuous time for God's people. And if you've ever read through the prophet Isaiah, then you'll know that if, except for a few places, chapters 1 through 39, it is judgment, 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 and warning, 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 and pleading for God's people to return to him. For they had forsaken God throughout the centuries, turned away from him, and worshipped Molech and Baal, and even practicing child sacrifice and abominable things. And throughout these chapters, 1 through 39, it's warning after warning after warning. And in 722 B.C., the Assyrian Empire, you see God's people are divided into two kingdoms now, the kingdom of the north of Israel, the kingdom of the south of Judah. And in 722 B.C., after decades of chipping away and chipping away and chipping away at that northern kingdom of Israel, 722 B.C., their capital city of Samaria is destroyed and they are no more. And now you're living in the southern kingdom of Judah. And Isaiah is crying out to them and warning them not only about Assyria, but of an even greater and more deadly empire of Babylon, the Babylonian Empire. And it's 586 BC where indeed this prophecy comes true and Nebuchadnezzar through the Babylonian army comes and they destroy the city of Jerusalem and the unthinkable takes place. The city of Jerusalem destroyed. The temple in Jerusalem, where the presence of God and his glory would dwell, is leveled to the ground, and the anointed king over God's people no longer sits on the throne, and God's people are taken away into exile. And perhaps you know some of the stories recorded at that time. We hear some of the really great heroes of the faith, like Daniel in the lion's den, and we hear about the three men in the fiery furnace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But for so many of God's people, they didn't know how long they would be there. It was all over. Yahweh, Lord God, are you there? And there was despair. Now let me tell you a story. This is a story, I actually told this Easter of 2017. I've only told it one time. Okay, that's pretty good for me. <laughs> but I was just talking about this with my wife just a couple of days ago, and I, I had to share it with you today. For our daughter Amelia's fifth birthday, just turned five years old in January of 2017, we had decided to transform her room into a troll-themed room, if you know anything about the movie Trolls. And these beautiful, wonderful, cute characters. And she hadn't actually seen the movie yet, but she had some of the books. And so we just transformed her bed and her bedroom into a troll-themed room, and the walls were pink. And we had troll uh, sheets and troll-fitted sheets. And we had troll uh, bedspread with all the characters on it. We had troll uh, pillowcases, and it was just trolls on that. And she was so looking forward to sleeping in her troll room with her troll bed. It was this wonderful thing. She was so excited. 
for, I can't remember why Leah was out that evening, and so we had bought the DVD or the Blu-ray of the movie Trolls, and said we hadn't actually seen it yet. And so it's daddy-daughter night, and we're sitting down, and we're watching Trolls, these beautiful characters, and they're singing and playing. And about five minutes into the movie, this character shows up. <laughs> to eat the trolls. And Amelia, and she's a pretty tough kid and is, can watch all sorts of stuff, but she freaked out. This horrible monster was coming and taking these, all her friends and all these people, and she was inconsolable. We had to shut off the movie, and she's crying, and I'm holding to her. And as I'm holding her, I'm realizing that in just a few hours, it's going to be bedtime. <laughs> And I'm going to tuck her in into the troll room of death. <laughs> Rookie mistake. Maybe watch the movie first before you transform the room. So I'm thinking, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And, and she is not wanting to watch this movie. I said, Amelia, it's a happy ending. Let me show you how the movie ends. And so we fast forward all the way to the very end of the movie and the bad guy is no more and everyone lives and everyone's okay and it's a huge celebration. And after we watched the ending and knew that it was a happy ending, then she was ready and it was okay and we could go back and we could watch the whole movie with peace and enjoy it. I'm a pretty amazing father. <laughs> I told you Leah wasn't there, right? <laughs> Our heavenly father is an amazing father. Because he wants you, even now, to know the happy ending. This is why he says in verses 1 and 2, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. The repetition there, of course, is intentional. It's not just comfort, but it's comfort, comfort he wants you to have. That's what he wanted his dear children to have when they were in 70 years in exile. When they returned from exile and still Jerusalem is destroyed and they tried to rebuild the temple, but it's never the same. The glory of God and the presence of God is no longer there. And that's 400 years of waiting with no prophecy, with no word from God. 400 years of silence until John the Baptist arrives. And for us, it's been how long? 2,000 years since the coming of Christ. And he says, comfort, comfort. My people, it's relationship, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. That's your heavenly father. And cry to her that her warfare is ended and that her iniquity is pardoned. That there is already a happy ending. This is speaking as though it has already happened. It is so certain to happen. And he says that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. Double for all of her sins. Now, as we wrap up here, what does that mean, double? Is that double punishment? No, it is a double blessing. What does that mean? Verses 10 and 11. 
Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. You see this imagery in verse 10. It says, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. This is the language of a mighty warrior, a warrior king, an almighty warrior who is coming and has destroyed all of our enemies, coming with such overwhelming might and power, this almighty warrior king to this world. But then verse 11, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arm. He will carry them in his bosom next to his beating heart and gently lead those that are with young. This is a warrior who's a shepherd. What is this? Who is this? This is Jesus. This is Christmas. This is what John the Baptist was preparing the way for. The one who is so big who is coming. The first time he came, though he is so big, yet he became so small. So weak and so helpless. Maybe you remember the story of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane with the Apostle Peter and the soldiers come to take him away. And Peter takes out a sword. Who knew Peter had a sword? Peter takes out a sword. He cuts off one of the servants' ears. Jesus heals him. He says, Peter, put away the sword. Peter, put away the sword. Do you remember what Jesus said? Peter, do you not understand that I could call down 12 legions of angels. That's somewhere around 70,000 warriors of the heavenly hosts, the heavenly armies. Peter, do you not understand the power that I have? I could speak a word and the world and the universe would cease to exist. Do you understand my omnipotent power that I have, Peter? Put away your sword. Without saying a word, he allows them to take him, to bind him, to beat him, to crucify him. And it would be the prophet Isaiah himself, just a few chapters after this, in Isaiah chapter 53, who would say he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, and upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his wounds we are That on the cross, the double blessing, what is this double blessing? It is the Son of God, yes, taking your sin upon himself, and you are pardoned. But imagine if you're on death row and you've really committed the crime and you're pardoned, just because you're pardoned from death row doesn't mean you're welcomed. Doesn't mean you're going to marry my daughter. The point here, the double blessing, you have received double for all of your sin, is not only that you are pardoned, but you are welcomed, you are rejoiced, and your sin is taken away, but you are now covered and given the righteousness of Christ himself, and that is who you are. 
And that is why Isaiah sees this day when it says, The Lord God comes with might, his arm rules for him. Behold, look, his reward is with him. What is his reward? God has everything, the moon and the stars and the sun, all the riches of the earth and any other planet in the universe. All of it is his. His reward is with him. What is his reward? It is you. You are his reward. You are his jewel. You are what he delights in. You are what he is so excited for. To be with you. Do you, do, you, do you see that, that you are his delight and his reward, his most treasured possession, his dear son or daughter? And one day, we, you, will be with him. That's the happy ending. Prepare a royal highway for our God, coming with all of his glory, a good king to bring restoration and peace and all the longings of our hearts fulfilled. And so we wait. And Isaiah himself would say at the very end of Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They'll soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Why is it in that descending order? You think it would be the opposite. You think it would be walking and running and soaring. It's because it's, that's the way it is. It's about the walking. Sometimes we soar, but not often. Sometimes we can run, but not that often. It's about walking and enduring. You will not grow faint. He will see you through, through it all because you know what is going to happen, the happy ending. And he is such a good father to show this to you even now. He says to you, comfort, comfort, ye my people. To God alone, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be all the glory. Amen.